Okay, there, Saints, Matthew chapter 8. Let's bow our hearts. Father, we have, as we've gone through this gospel, we've seen you coming. We've seen you confirming who you are. Father, we've studied your constitution. We've got to know your heart. We've got to know just how far we are from it. And now, Father, we're continuing through this book. As we look at this, uh, this passage, that we'll look at the conduct of the king, we're going to see, Lord, how you are not just one who has words. You have power, you have authority. And so continue to speak those things to our lives. Continue to help us to recognize what that power, what that authority means in our lives in the lives of this meeting. And so tonight, Father, we simply ask for ears to hear what your spirit would speak to us, your church. We ask it in Jesus' name, all the saints of God said. Amen. Amen. All right, saints, Matthew chapter 8. For those of you that are, are note takers, which should be most of you, and if you're not, you should become note takers. That's just a... Jot certain things down. I want to give you just an idea of what's going to be happening in the next couple of chapters. We won't get through it, guaranteed tonight. You know, we don't get that far. Um, but what happens is this. If you're curious to what the next couple of chapters brings, there's going to be a total of ten miracles that Matthew records. Other Gospels will record part of these miracles as well. But what Matthew does not do is he doesn't go chronologically. And, but he does point out that there are going to be 10 miracles that do happen. And he does have an order. He does have a way to break them down. As we're going to start here um, this evening, it begins with the first three miracles. There's going to be three miracles. We'll do the, the healing of the leper, the healing of the centurion, and of course, the healing of Peter's mother-in-law. So those are the first three miracles. And those are, are unique. They're very powerful as Matthew points out these first three as we'll look at them you know the first miracle that he does is he heals a leper which is one of the most despised people that is is there um, the only thing that's more unclean than a leper is a dead person so you know you don't want a dead person next to that you don't want to touch a leper um, so he's at the, the lowest rung of society the very next person that comes in is going to be a centurion he's a gentile not only is he a gentile the centurion but he's one who is um, a leader within the oppressing you know, army that's, that's holding them in bondage that they're trying to free themselves with. He's the second person. And so you see here, you know, this, this, the lowest rungs of society. And of course, the third one is going to be Peter's mother-in-law. Um, and don't get any funny ideas, guys. It's not saying that mother-in-laws are low on the totem pole. But what happens is... In the society, women were not brought to the place that Christ and through the scripture has elevated them to what we know to be today. Um, and so you have those, you know, three that were considered of the lowest part of society. And those are the first three that Jesus begins, you know, to reveal his conduct. The very fact that he has the power, he has the authority. Then as we get into verses 18 through 21, there's going to be these demands for discipleship. 
And so as Jesus began to say, here's what it is to be a disciple. Directly after that, um, once we get done with verse um, 18 through 22, then we see the next three miracles. And so there's going to be the stilling of the sea, the casting out of the demons, and then the forgiveness and the healing of the paralytic. And so we see where he's going to have this authority over um, nature itself. He's going to have authority over the supernatural. And then we're also going to see how he has authority over sin and the effects of sin. And so we're, we're in a sense seeing as he's stepping up and showing his power, showing his power, showing his power so much so that he actually shows his power over sin. And then, um, you know, from that point, then you're going to have that break and there's going to be the, um, the calling of Matthew with that dialogue when he's there that goes with the religious leaders. Then you have the dialogue he's going to have with um, John's disciples. And then lastly, there's going to be the four miracles. And the four miracles are all issues with um, the body, the physical, as he raises um, Jairus' daughter from, you know, from being dead, as he heals the woman with the flow of blood, um, who's had that flow for 12 years. He's going to then heal the blind man, and then he's going to heal the man who's mute. And then directly after that, he begins to show that with all this authority that he has, with everything that's going on with his power, he then, in the most amazing way, begins to delegate that authority to others. And so the amazing thing is what Jesus said that he did. He said, you guys will be able to do even more, which is kind of amazing when you think of it. But that's what we're going to be looking at in the next um, couple of chapters. And of course, the very end of chapter 9 and into chapter 10 shows that delegation as he begins to spread out and, and have others come alongside in the ministry. So that's what we're looking at as far as the next couple of chapters. The timeline of that chapter is going to be something completely different, but um, that remains to be seen as we go through this. So I wanted you to be aware of that, that that is what the outline is within these next. There's going to be these 10 miracles that are going to be um, shown here. They're not in chronological order, but they are 10 that Jesus did do. And, and Matthew does have a way of pointing them out, um, really representing Christ's authority, who he is and, and how he works. And I want to back up for just a second as we're about to look at here the conduct of the king. Now remember when we were back in chapter 4, this is prior to going into this whole thing that we call the Constitution, where he said, here's my heart, here's my heart, here's my heart. This is what the Constitution for the very kingdom of heaven requires. And of course, the, the standard is huge, recommending that what we can't do it anyway on our own, but through Christ, through his spirit, we can begin to move in that direction. But in Matthew chapter 4, verse 23, I wanted to just take you back there because, you know, as we've been going through the Constitution now for a while, um, we're kind of missing the flow. So if we go back to chapter 4, verse 23, it says this, Jesus went about all Galilee, teaching in their synagogues, preaching the gospel of the kingdom, and healing all kinds of sickness and all kinds of disease among the people. This is where we're at. So basically, if you want to take the, the last you know, couple of months and put it all into a condensed little sentence, it just means that Jesus went about all of Galilee teaching and preaching. And now we're going into that third section 
where he begins the healing of all kinds of sickness and all kinds of disease among the people. So now that you know where we're going, we've just taken a break. Um, if you would simply just read through that message, I know we delved into it, looking deeper as far as what the scripture teach about these principles that we covered. If you just read through it, it only basically takes, you know, uh, a few minutes. You could have read through it in the study and... and uh, so it doesn't take that long in the, the teaching as Jesus did. Of course, I take a little bit longer. And then it just continues to move on. So after he has that dialogue that we call the constitution of the king, now we begin to see that we go to this next area called the conduct of the king. And the reason they do that is because, okay, you've said all these things, and that's great. Do you have the power to do anything? And, you know, how many of us actually look to that um, when, you know, this whole last year where all these politicians says, I'll do this, I'll do this. And then you really, you have the power to do anything that you're saying. Mm -hmm. And so, but here Jesus is saying all these things. Now, do you have the power to do these things? Do you have the authority to make happen what you're declaring? Or is it simply just you speaking out a lot of, you know, rhetoric? And so what Jesus does is he says, well, what I'm going to do is I've, I've given you my doctrine. Now here's my deeds. Here's everything that I'm going to do. So I've given you all the sayings. Now here's the signs to show that when you look to these signs and I'm verifying who I am, come back to these sayings and realize these sayings aren't just words. They are authoritative. So as we look to these deeds, as we look to these, this conduct, as we look to these signs, realize all of the things we're going to be looking at in the next couple of chapters. Just take that and, and realize that that brings confirmation to everything that we looked about in chapters 5 through 7. So just as we go through that, I want you to be aware of that before we launch into this next section um, of the Gospel of Matthew. Now, Matthew chapter 8, verse 1, When he had come down from the mountain, great multitudes followed him. And behold, a leper came and worshipped him, saying, Lord, if you are willing, you can make me clean. Then Jesus put out his hand and touched him, saying, I am willing, be cleansed. Immediately his leprosy was cleansed, and Jesus said to him, See that you tell no one, but go your way, show yourself to the priest, and offer the gift that Moses commanded as a testimony to them. So now as he comes down this mountain, I want you to see this contrast. Great multitudes followed him. <clears throat> it wasn't just a small crowd. We're seeing it here. Great multitudes followed Jesus. As he's coming down, these throngs of people follow him. And then verse 2 brings this huge contrast. All these people who have been sitting together, all these people who have been part of this group, this family, this you know, cohesive um, entity, if you will, while he was teaching, he now comes down, this multitude follows him, and then in verse 2 it says, Behold a leper. What a contrast. What an absolute contrast. You have this whole multitude that's there, wants to hang out together, everything is good, and then this one single leper contrasting this whole thing. And what's interesting is all these people in verse 1 
followed him. That's what they did. They followed him. They followed him. They followed him. The leper does something different. He came and worshipped. And I think what an incredible concept that, that we see in this contrast because here this great multitude following the Lord, following the Lord, one man who's going to, as we're going to see, is despised in society, this leper comes and he worships him and simply declares, Lord, if you are willing, you can make me clean. Now understand that this is the first time in the New Testament that Jesus is called the Lord. Very first time. It's done by a leper. It's done by the one who, you know, when this great multitude follows him. Now, something that you should be aware of, that in this time of society, um, what the, uh, the early um, teachers during this time make references to um, a leper. And what the rabbis would teach and what the, the Talmud would declare is that if a leper would come and he would be downwind of you, so in other words, the wind is at your back, it's blowing through you, you know, past you and blowing to the leper. The leper has to be approximately six feet away. You don't want to get any closer than that when the wind is at your back. However, if the wind is coming from the leper to you, you want to increase that to about 150 feet. Now, imagine this. Here's this great multitude that's here, and the leper should not be here. The leper should not be among this multitude. The leper should be you know, an outcast somewhere. He needs to be separated from society. If you're familiar with how the book of Leviticus deals with leprosy, there's two chapters you should be aware of. The first is Leviticus chapter 13. The next, of course, is the very next chapter, chapter 14. So when Jesus in verse 4 says, See that you tell no one, but go your way and show yourself to the priest and offer the gift that Moses commanded as a testimony of them. So here, he's healed of his leprosy, and through the healing of the leprosy, he needs to go to the priest, and he needs to follow them that direction that Moses gave through leprosy. So what is this leprosy? Well, if you want, turn in your Bibles to that book of Leviticus. And in the book of Leviticus, I'm not going to read all of it, um, just for a matter of time. You can go through and you can read as you desire um, to get the full explanation of it. But I want to start by reading the first couple of verses. And the Lord spoke to Moses and Aaron, saying, verse 2 of Leviticus 13, When a man has on the skin of his body a swelling, a scab, a bright spot, and it becomes on the skin of his body like a leprous sore, and then he shall be brought to Aaron the priest or to one of his sons, the priest. And the priest shall examine the sore on the skin of the body, and if the hair on the sore has turned white, and the sore appears to be deeper than the skin of his body, it is a leprous sore. Then the priest shall examine him and pronounce him unclean. I want you to realize first and foremost that the examination of the issue of this person's flesh is not done by the person himself. This is a really good clue to all of us who call ourselves Christian. So often we have a tendency of just examining this issue of my flesh myself. Oh, I think it's like this. And I can reason anything away. It's better to let something else examine you. And here we see it was the priest who examined. It was either you know Aaron or one of his sons. 
but I think it's important to say, let something else examine you. I would say, first and foremost, the word. Second thing is someone that you would trust, someone that you would love. Um, I know of David said, Lord, you search my heart. You see if there's anything. And that would be the word, the spirit. But a lot of times, you know, I'm open and I'm, you know, there are certain brothers that are very open and honest with me. My wife is very open and honest with me. And so if I'm saying, is, is this an issue? They'll say, yeah, it is. Um, and they usually won't give me any information that I'm not asking for, which is really nice. But if I'm asking for it, they'll be honest with me. They'll say, yeah, this is a problem. No, it's not a problem. But I think it's important to let someone else examine. And now we see here that what we need to recognize is this. In verse 3, it talks about the sore appears to be deeper than the skin. In other words, it's not a surface thing. It's a little deeper than that. And what happens with leprosy is when it's deeper than the skin, it actually causes that hair to turn white. In other words, it shows there's a deadness. There's something deadness that is below the surface. Not on top of the surface, but below the surface. And that is why throughout the scripture that leprosy becomes a type of sin. In other words, it's something that's not on the surface, it's below the surface. Jesus taught us what? They're all hard issues. You know, you've heard it said, you know, don't commit murder. I'm telling you, if you're angered, there's a heart issue. Don't commit adultery. But I'm telling you, if you've, you know, lusted in your heart, it's all a heart issue. If you, you know, um, called your brother raka or fool, it's a heart issue. And so we're seeing here that it's something that's deeper than the skin. If you're a highlighter, underliner, I think it's good for you to mark that so that you can at least realize that that's what leprosy is. Then in chapter 13, verse 45 and verse 46, it makes this statement with that leper. He shall be unclean all the days. Oh, verse 45. And now the leper on whom the store is, his clothes shall be torn and his head bare. And he shall cover his mustache and cry, unclean, unclean. He shall be unclean all the days he has the sore. He shall be unclean. He is unclean and he shall dwell alone. His dwelling shall be outside the camp. Now, another thing to mark is this. One of the things that he has to do, he has to warn everybody, I'm unclean, I'm unclean. You, you can't just simply go into this massive crowd that's coming down with Jesus. You need to be shouting out, unclean, unclean. And so not only should the crowd be leaving, Jesus should be leaving. Like, here's a guy, he's all by himself, he's isolated. And it makes this statement in verse 46. He shall be unclean all the days he has the sore, he shall be unclean. He is unclean, and those what it says, and he shall dwell alone. Now, of course, we understand that you could dwell with other lepers in the leper colony, but you are alone. You can't be part of the society that is healthy. And so as we're seeing this, I know I want you to jump to verse 52 and understand what happens with the leprosy that is on anything that this person has. It says in verse 52, and he shall therefore burn that garment in which is the plague, whether warp or wolf, in the wool or in the linen, or anything of leather, for it is an act of leprosy, the garment shall be burned in the fire. 
When you have leprosy, when you have this on, on the clothing or something, then they said there's only one thing to do with it. Burn it in the fire. And that's what God does with sin. Only one thing to do with it. Burn it in the fire. Consume it up. And that's what he does in the testing of all of our things. If it's gold, silver, precious stones, they're refined. If it's wood, hay, and stubble, it's consumed. And, and fire is a great way to deal with it. And of course, those people who have that sin nature and they don't want that work of Jesus Christ, then what is the only thing you can do? Burn in the fire. That, that's, that's the hell. And so we see here these aspects of the leprosy. Now, something incredible in chapter 14 makes this declaration. Then the Lord spoke to Moses. This is Leviticus 14 verse 1 saying, This shall be the law of the leper for the day of his cleansing. He shall be brought to the priest and the priest shall go out of the camp and the priest shall examine him. And indeed, if the leprosy is healed in the leper, then the priest shall command to take for him who is to be clean, cleansed, two living and clean birds, cedar wood, scarlet, hyssop. And the priest shall command that one of the birds be killed in an earthen vessel over running water. As for the living bird, he shall take the cedar wood and the scarlet and the hyssop and dip them and the living bird in the blood of the bird that was killed over the running water. Verse 7, he shall sprinkle it seven times on him who is to be cleansed from the leprosy and shall pronounce him clean and shall let the living bird loose in the open field. And he who is to be cleansed shall wash his clothes, shave off all his hair, wash himself in water that he may be clean. And after that, he can come into the camp and shall um, stay outside his tent seven days. So we see this amazing thing that if someone is actually healed of leprosy. Uniquely in the scripture, there is no, in the Old Testament, no Jew that has ever been healed and spoken of in scripture that has had to come to the priest and receive this. Now, I won't go into it, but just do a study on your own on how, you know, chapter 14, verses 1 through 7, really is the picture of Jesus Christ and being washed in his blood and being freed. Um, and so you have the Lord Christ, you have the Spirit, you have the, the, the cross, you have all these things that are pictured here. But I want you to see that there was an actual law that Moses did give for the healing of the leprosy. And although we do not hear of any Israelite being cleansed of his leprosy, there is one passage, I've been talking about the Old Testament, you don't see it. In the New Testament, we'll see this, and of course, we'll look in the Gospel of Luke. But we see here in, and I want to take you to 2 Kings chapter 5. There is a man by the name of Naaman, and he's a commander of the army of the king of Syria. Now, this man here, according to 2 Kings chapter 5, simply begins verse 1. Now, Naaman, commander of the army of the king of Syria, was a great and honorable man in the eyes of his master, because by him the Lord had given victory to Syria. He was also a mighty man of valor, but a leper. Now, when you think about this, he had all these things going for him. He was a commander of the army. He was a great man. He was honorable in the eyes of his master. He was a mighty man of valor. 
and yet you had this one stain on his record that he was a leper. And so with this, he's now is, is, is isolated. He's off to the side. And it declares this in verse 2, the Syrians had gone out on raids and had brought back a captive, a young girl from the land of Israel, and she waited on Naaman's wife. And she said to her mistress, if only my master were with the prophet who was in Samaria, for he would heal him of his leprosy. And Naaman went and told his master, saying, thus and thus said the girl who is from the land of Israel. So all of a sudden, this girl from Israel says, wow, if, if he can get now to, um, to Israel, there's this prophet who could heal him of his leprosy. So she talks about this power of the prophet. He now goes to his king, and in verse 5, the king of Syria said, Go now, and I will send a letter to the king of Israel. And so he departed and took with him ten talents of silver, six thousand shekels of gold, ten changes of clothing, and he brought the letter to the king of Israel, which said, Be advised, when this letter comes to you, that I have sent Naaman my servant to you, that you may heal him of his leprosy. So at this point, King Assyria writes to the king of Samaria and says, I'm sending you my servant. I want you to just do a simple little thing. Heal him of his leprosy. That's it. And understand, verse 7, it happened when the king of Israel read the letter that he tore his clothes and says, Am I God to kill and make alive? That this man sends a man to me to heal him of his leprosy. Therefore, please consider and see how he seeks a quarrel with me. This king knows there is no cure for leprosy. Am I God? Now, God could do it, but I'm not God. I don't know how to do this. There's nothing I can do. So he just is thinking that this king of Syria wants now to pick a fight with him. And he's doing it by saying, I'm giving you a simple task. Take care of it. If you can't do it, well, apparently you want to fight. And so he's looking at this. And I want you to see the reaction of this king again in verse 7. Because here the king of Samaria realizes there is a big, big issue here. And I want you to, at this point, I want to explain to you a little bit about what leprosy is. If you don't know what it is, leprosy is a disease that begins to affect the nerves. And when it begins to affect the nerves, it deadens the nerves in the physical body. And as it deadens the nerves, what happens is this. There's going to be signs that on the outside because all of a sudden your nerves are the ones that causes all your body fluids to do what they need to do and it functions everything. But when the nerves begin to die, what happens is this. Your extremities begin to have no pain. Now, when they have no pain, if you did something and you sliced your arm or you step on something sharp and you, 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 know, you, you hurt your foot or you tripped and you broke a bone, you wouldn't feel it because you have no nerve endings. You, everything is dead. And because you don't feel these things, now the, the, the leper himself, the, the cut, you don't take care of it because you don't even realize you have a cut. A broken bone or a sprain, you don't take care of it because you don't even realize that you have it. If you notice that whenever you hurt something, what do you do? You protect it. Your whole body protects what is hurt. That's the natural reaction. But leprosy does this. It, it deadens everything, kills everything, so that you do not feel what you need to feel. 
That's what sin does. Sin deadens the things of the Spirit so that when sin comes, that which destroys you, you don't have that feeling of weight or pain or the, the cutting of what sin does in your life in the Spirit, and you go on and it just becomes very destructive to you. So sin and leprosy are side by side. Well, when this king of Syria sends Naaman, um, eventually... Elisha um, goes and he sends a messenger to the, the king. And so he says, well, just tell the guy to come here. And so Naaman now goes to Elijah and, and he's expecting now um, Elisha to come out and wave his hands and, and you know, whoop all over the place and, and be really spiritual and heal him of his leprosy. And Elisha doesn't do that. He just simply sends out a messenger. And so he gets this scribe. He does it here. He's the commander. And I find it interesting that in verse 1, it says that he was honorable. He was great. He was a mighty man of valor. Um, but in verse 11, it says that he was a man of temper. And he was a man who was very prideful. Because when, he, when Elisha sends the messenger and simply says, just go wash in the Jordan seven times and and your flesh shall be restored to you, and you'll be clean. So he just tells him, go dunk in the, the Jordan. And what's interesting is he just sent out a scribe. He sent out a messenger. He sent out an assistant. And so Naaman, verse 11 of 2 Kings 5, is now furious. He went away and said, indeed, I said to myself, he will surely come out to me. Stand and call on the name of the Lord as God, and wave his hand over the place, and heal the leprosy. Then he talks about the rivers that are there of Damascus. Aren't they better than all the waters of Israel? Why do I have to dunk in this Jordan? Well, eventually his servant is going to come and say, My father, if the prophet had told you to do something great, would you not have done it? Now, here's a question. The prophet would have said, I want you to climb to Mount Hermon within you know, a two-hour period. Boy, he would have been training and training. I'm going to do this and I'm going to earn the healing. He says, but he's not telling you to do something great. He's not doing it so you can earn it. He says, this is where you have to humble yourself. He says, how much more when he says to you, wash and be clean. Now notice what this commander will have to do. In order to go into the Jordan, one of the things that he's going to have to do is he's the commander of the army. And as the commander of the army, he's going to be one of the very few people who actually have armor. And he's going to have to remove that armor, take it off of him. In other words, just come down to whatever you, you, you know, you got to just get rid of all of this outward shell, reveal yourself for who you are, and go into the Jordan. And so it says, verse 14, he went down, he dipped seven times in the Jordan, according to the saying of the man of God, and his flesh was restored like the flesh of a little child, and he was clean. So absolutely amazing that we see here that here was a man who had leprosy but he was a gentile he wasn't a child of israel and so as he was this gentile and not a child of israel he didn't have to go to the priest he didn't have to make himself clean and so we see that he would just go back to his own land but what Jesus does is, is this leper comes to him that should be shouting unclean. He should be isolated by himself. And 
At this point, we've never seen a leper healed in Israel written there in the Old Testament. It was never, here was a child of Israel, and he had leprosy. Now, we do know that there were some lepers that were there um, in the gate of Samaria when Ben-Hadad attacked. And they were the ones who said, hey, we're going to die here anyways. Why don't we just surrender ourselves over to the Syrian army? And, hey, you know, why not? Because if, if they kill us, well, we're going to die here anyways. There's a famine in the city. We're not eating out here. And if they keep us alive, well, at least they kept us alive. And they go there and they find, you know, everything empty. And they realize these four lepers. Hey, we need to go and tell people because if we keep this to ourselves, something bad's going to happen. So there were lepers. None of those had mentioned that they were healed. Now, this one will be healed here in a very unique point where 10 lepers were healed. I'm going to read to you from Luke 17, verses 11 through 19. Now, it happened as he went to Jerusalem that he passed through the midst of Samaria and Galilee. And as he entered a certain village, there met him 10 men who were lepers who stood afar off. Now, this is what a leper should do. There's 10 of them. They're in a group. They're not with the rest of the people. And as he now goes to Jerusalem, he passes through Samaria and Galilee. And then far away from him, far enough where they're considered, okay, we're good, are 10 lepers. And they lifted up their voices and they said, so they're not that close where they can talk. They're yelling in the distance, Jesus, Master, have mercy on us. So when he saw them, not any closer, he sees them from a distance. When he saw them, he said to them, go show yourself to the priest. And so it was as they went, they were cleansed. Now, as these ten were cleansed, and one of them, when he saw that he was healed, returned and with a loud voice glorified God, fell down on his face at his feet, giving him thanks, and he was a Samaritan. So Jesus answers, and were there not ten cleansed, but where are the nine? Were there not any found who returned to give glory to God except this foreigner? And he said to him, Arise, go your way, your faith has made you well. So all this is just to introduce this huge contrast between verse 1 and verse 2, which is why I said we probably won't get through all 10 miracles tonight. Um, so I want you to see this great multitude follows him, this leper that should be shouting from a distance, saying, unclean, unclean. He comes and he worships him, and understand, now he says, he's so close, he doesn't have to yell, he doesn't have to cry out, he just simply says, Lord, if you are willing, you can make me clean. So I don't know what happened to this great multitude. My thought is this. There's a great dispersion. <laughs> but there's this leper here. The leper comes close enough to speak, and he simply says, if you're willing, if you're willing, you can make me clean. Jesus put out his hand and touched him and says, I'm willing, be cleansed. Now, here's this big catch because Jesus could not touch a leper because if he touched the leper, he would be ceremonially unclean. But I want you to know that the very instant that Jesus touched the leper, he was not a leper. Amen. That's, that's the power of God. But I want to back it up for just a moment because as this man comes and he worships him, and, and so keep in mind that he calls him Lord and he worships him. Those two things should go hand in hand. 
When you call him Lord, you can't be like Peter saying, not so, Lord. That doesn't flow. When you call him Lord, you worship. And he says this, if you're willing, you can make me clean. Now, most of us, we don't have a problem to, where we can say, if you're able. Now, we all know if you're able, you can make me clean. But that's never a question or a statement that we have to make to God. The real question is, is if you're willing. So we understand here that there are, you know, not the problem with can you do it. And this leper didn't have a problem with could he do it. He had a problem with would you want to do it. And so here now, one of the two things that we have, if Jesus does not heal the man, does he mean that he doesn't have the power? Does he mean that he doesn't have the authority? Does it mean that he doesn't want to love? And isn't that sometimes what we think when we're asking God to answer a prayer, answer a prayer? If he doesn't answer it the way that we think, we think, do you not love me? Do you not love us? Are you not aware of the situation? Do you not have the power? What's wrong with us that you don't want to minister to the way that we, in our finite mind, that think it's absolutely the right thing to do? Why aren't you doing it the way we think that you should? Keep in mind that what God is going to do always is this. He's going to choose the better. He's going to choose the better. And sometimes it's going to be, yes, healing you is the better. And sometimes it's going to be, like he said to Paul, Paul, listen, you know, my grace is sufficient for you. Two passages I want you to be aware of um, as we go through this. The first one is found in Matthew chapter 7, verse 7. We just went through that not that long ago. But it says, ask and it will be given to you. Seek and you will find. Knock and it will be opened to you. For everyone who asks, verse 8, receives, and he who seeks, finds, and to him who knocks, it will be open. So we see that here he says, just ask, knock, seek, you know, you're going to receive what you want. However, there's a passage in 2 Corinthians, and I'm going to start reading from you in chapter 12, verses um, 7 through 10. Paul is writing to the church in Corinth in the second epistle, and he says in chapter 12, verse 7, unless I should be exalted above measure... By the abundance of the revelations, a thorn in the flesh was given to me, a messenger of Satan to buffet me, lest I be exalted above measure. Concerning this thing, I pleaded with the Lord three times that it might depart from me. And he said to me, my grace is sufficient for you. My strength is made perfect in weakness. Therefore, most gladly, I will rather boast in my infirmities that the power of Christ may rest upon me. Therefore, I take pleasure in infirmities, in reproaches, in needs, in persecutions, in distresses. For in Christ, for Christ's sake, for when I am weak, then I am strong. So we see here this movement that's going on as this man now comes and he you know, interrupts this incredible great multitude, breaks all kinds of social etiquettes, walks right up to the Lord and says, Lord, if you are willing, you can make me clean. This whole willing thing, I want to just add one more point to it before we move on. So often when we come to this area of prayer, we talk about how we have a finite mind. God has an infinite understanding of what we need. 
There are going to be times where we do question God. God, why don't you heal? God, why don't you make right? God, why don't you reverse what's happening within the sin? Keep in mind that what God is always wanting for us is a greater good. See, keep in mind, you can't ever divorce that God is good from your prayers. And he may not answer it right now. And I do want to be honest with you that everyone will be healed eventually. So it's it's not about if you're going to be healed. It's going to be when you're healed. But there's a work that God does because he knows the end from the beginning. And he realizes that there are going to be certain things. If I allow this in your life, this is what is going to transform in you even a greater good. Now, we may not understand how that greater good goes because what? We're finite in our thinking. We're finite in our our abilities to understand anything. And God's ways are not our ways. They're so far beyond our ways past finding out. But it is about this. It is about whatever situation comes. Never doubt the fact that God is good. Never doubt the fact that God is perfect in what he allows us to go through. We may not understand why he does, but he's good and he's right. Keep in mind that one of the things that we sometimes divorce from things that are going on is this. Adam blew it. He sinned in the garden. And once he sinned, curse the curse now came. Adam was going to die. We were all going to die. Um, there was going to be pain in childbirth. There was going to be this whole issue where the, the, the earth itself wasn't going to produce as freely as it would. There's going to be thorns and thistles. And from the sweat of his brow, he was going to have to produce anything that he was going to do. It wasn't going to be easy anymore, like simply tending the garden. So sin has entered the world. And there's an effect of sin that has entered with it. God is going to deal with sin once and for all in the new heavens and the new earth. For those of you that didn't tune into Revelation 22, uh, tap into that. Um, It's the conclusion of an incredible book. But we see here that, you know, in Revelation 21, 22, he makes all things new. Sin is dealt with then. However, sin is still rampant here. Um, If you want any idea, just look back at 2020 and just see what sin has brought about COVID, everything else that has happened. Um, Incredible what has transpired in this year. But sin is here and God knows that sin is here. God knows that sin is going to affect. Now, we don't understand who sin will affect, who sin won't affect. Will it affect this person? Will it not affect this person? Um, I just on Saturday did a funeral for a man who was 56 years old, only 56, and he had pancreatic cancer. He had it for two years, and I was sharing with his wife, I was sharing with his kids, and I was sharing, you know, that, that listen, I can't, you know, understand the, the, the grief that you're going through, you know, with, with the loss of your dad and the, the, the loss of your um, your husband. And, but understand that sin is in the world, and God knew that sin was going to be here. God knew that your, your, your dad and your husband was going to you know, have this pancreatic cancer, and he knew that he would die. But what he did prior to this was this. He revealed himself to you. That as you're going through this, you wouldn't have to be alone. You, wouldn't, you would have his spirit. You would have his peace. You would have his comfort. And so although sin is here and it's rampant, God knows it's here. So what does he do? He says, listen, I'm going to show you me. 
And I can be with you through these times that sin is going to run rampant. I will deal with sin eventually, but understand, it isn't God who's doing this. It was all the way back from Adam. That's what brought sin into the world. That's what's bringing this leper to the place of leprosy. It wasn't God. And now what God is doing is, he's listen, if you're willing, if you desire to do this, then here I am, do this. However, I think it's important to realize that if you're saying your grace is sufficient and your strength will be made perfect in my weakness, then I want your strength to be seen, not my strength. And, and so as we look to those truths, we come here, but this leper now comes and worships him, saying, Lord, if you're willing, you can make me clean. And as he does so, um, we see here that Jesus put out his hand, touched him and said, I am willing. Now, I love this. He goes, Lord, if you're willing. And Jesus says, I am willing. I am willing. Be cleansed. And immediately his leprosy was cleansed. And I want you to know that Jesus did not touch an unclean leper. Jesus touched a man who was an unclean leper that was now cleansed. So Jesus himself was not even ceremonially unclean. We see it was immediately and so they're, they're, as he now comes, he touches the man. Now Jesus says here in verse 4, See that you tell no one, but go your way, show yourself to the priest, and offer the gift that Moses commanded as a testimony. So the same thing that we read about there in Leviticus 14. Now I want you to see that Jesus himself tells this man, he says, I want you to tell no one. Now, Jesus will do that often. He'll say, I don't want you to tell anybody. I don't want you to tell anybody. Now, why is it that he doesn't want people to tell anyone? A, a verse, two verses for you guys just to simply jot down. Don't turn it, but just jot it down. John chapter 7, verse 6 and 8. Both of them will say basically the same thing, but I want to read to you both of them. In John chapter 7, verse 6, what Jesus does is this. As um, his brothers want him to go to Jerusalem, he, he says now in verse 6 of John chapter 7, Jesus said to them, his brothers, my time has not yet come, but your time is always ready. In verse 8, he says, you go up to the feast, I am not yet going to the feast, for my time has not yet fully come. Jesus was on a timeline, and Jesus knew, don't say anything, don't, don't start launching things. I have a timeline. I need you to keep this kind of under the wraps. I'm going to very publicly um, talk about the gospel. I'm going to very publicly talk about the kingdom. I'm going to very publicly talk about what it is to be part of this kingdom. But when it comes to the healing, when it comes to the miraculous, Jesus, I want you to keep that under wraps. Because I don't want that to overshadow the message. And I think that's what we see sometimes in the church, that the, 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 the signs and the wonders become more sought after than the message itself. And so the more you can wow them, the more you can impress them, um, you know, they want more wowing and more impressing. But the message, when you keep it simply the message, that has power in it. So Jesus is saying, I don't want you to tell anyone because my time has not yet come. I want to take you to just one passage here in the Gospel of Mark. And in Mark chapter 1, I'm going to read you just a couple of verses. 
And you're, you're going to see here, as I start reading in verse 40, that it's very similar to what we're seeing here. In chapter 1, verse 40 of the Gospel of Mark, Now a leper came to him, imploring him, kneeling down to him, and saying to him, If you are willing, you can make me clean. Now, it sounds pretty familiar. We're guessing this is a parallel passage. Then Jesus moved with compassion, stretched out his hand, and touched him and said to him, I am willing, be cleansed. And as soon as he had spoken, immediately the leper left him. So he, and he was cleansed. And he strictly warned him and sent him away at once. Verse 44, and said to him, see that you say nothing to anyone but go your way, show yourself to the priest, and offer your cleansing, for your cleansing, those things which Moses commanded as a testimony to them. Now this is why I wanted to take you to the, the Gospel of Mark, verse 45. However, he went out and began to proclaim it freely, and he spread the matter so that Jesus could no longer openly enter the city, but was outside in the deserted places, and they came to him from every direction. And so keep in mind that God is always going to have his way. He's always going to meet. He's always going to minister. He's going to find out, regardless of whether we're obedient or not. I find it intriguing that this man comes, the first one in the Gospels to call him Lord, comes and worships him. Jesus does what he asks and tells him one thing. Just one thing. Well, two things. Go show yourself to the priest. That's what you need to do that. It's, it's the, the, the law. Let's do that so you can come back to society. But the one thing he tells him is, shh, don't tell anybody. And yet Mark's gospel said, that's the one thing Jesus said, do this for me. The rest you do for you, this is for me. The one thing that here, he calls Jesus Lord. He worships him. He says, don't tell anybody. He goes and he makes it widely known. He literally causes Jesus to no longer be openly ministering, but now have to leave the city to the outskirts. And so here, Matthew very graciously leaves that out. He, and so, but I wanted to, as we're going through the scripture, really show you that this is the first time that anyone called Jesus Lord. He literally comes and worships him, asks God to make him clean. Jesus does so, says, now this is what you do for you. I need you to do this for me. How often does God do that work in our lives? And he says, and this is what I need you to do for me. We're like, nah, nah, but I'm good, but thank you. But I'm still going to do my own thing. And we see here, did he really mean Lord? Did he really mean worship? And I don't know. I, I mean, he could have been Lord. He could have been, been true in his worship and just really was so overwhelmed and just lost his marbles that when Jesus said the one thing where he said, you know, see that you tell no one. However, he just went blabbed it as many times as he could. So um, I think it's a good warning for us that when Jesus does do those things that sometimes we do this, just give him glory. Just give him glory. And, and, and let that be between just you and him. So we see as we move on now, um, then now when Jesus had entered Capernaum, 
he met a, cent a centurion Kenyan pleading with him, saying, Lord, my servant is lying at home paralyzed, dreadfully tormented. And Jesus said to him, I will come and I will heal him. And the centurion answered and said, Lord, I'm not worthy that you should come under my roof, but only speak the word and my servant will be healed. For I am also a man under authority and having soldiers under me. And I say to this one, go, and he goes, and to another, come, and he comes. And to my servant, do this, and he does that. When Jesus heard it, he marveled, and he said to those who followed, Assuredly, I say to you, I have not found such great faith, not even in Israel. And I say to you that many will come from the east and west and sit down with Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob in the kingdom of heaven. But the sons of the kingdom will be cast out into outer darkness, and there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. Then Jesus said to the centurion, Go your way, and as you have believed, so let it be done for you. And his servant was healed at that same hour. So I want you to see initially that here Jesus has the authority over the natural. He will be able to heal the leper. He will be able to heal the centurion's servant. And of course, he'll be able to heal Peter's mother-in-law. Now, as he has authority over the natural, I want you to see that when it comes to leprosy, difficulty is no issue. Now, when it comes to difficulty, remember what the king of Samaria said? Am I God that can make alive? And, you know, only God can do that. Jesus said, hey, I don't have a problem with it. Yeah, be cleansed. And he was willing in his power and his conduct really begins to show that when it comes to this kingdom that he said, we have this tendency of thinking that the kingdom should be for the highly spiritual, for those who are more godly. And what he's showing you, it's for the very dregs of society. And, and I think it's important to realize that because I think in heaven, there's going to be a lot of people that you're not expecting to be in there, and they're going to be in heaven. I think also there's going to be a lot of people that you think are going to be in heaven or are not going to be in heaven. You know, we have this mentality of thinking, oh, this is the standard. This And, and Jesus said, listen, I'm going to tell you what the standard of the kingdom is. I'm going to go as low as you can go in society to the very unclean, and to the only one that's lower than this leper is death. He's the only thing that's more unclean than the leper is a, is a rotting corpse because the leper is a living rotting corpse. But he goes on to the next one. He says, it's a centurion. Now, as Rome is occupying Israel, the centurion is one who's in charge over a um, hundred men. And as he's in charge over those hundred men, he's a leader of the occupying force. And he now comes to Jesus. And rather than Jesus casting him away to say, you're a Gentile. You're a Gentile, go your way. All of a sudden, here, he comes to Capernaum. Now, a verse that you should be aware of, when it says in verse 5, now when Jesus had entered Capernaum, remember back in Matthew chapter 4, I want to read to you just one verse, verse 13. Matthew chapter 4, verse 13, it says this, And leaving Nazareth, he came and he dwelt in Capernaum, which is by the sea in the regions of Zebulun and Naphtali. This is where Jesus kind of made a headquarters. And so as he comes now to Capernaum, he comes to this area, um, 
The other Gospels will actually say that this centurion was a, a man who literally had built a synagogue for the Jews. He was a very honorable man, a very gracious man. And we see here that this centurion comes and he's pleading with him. Now understand that this is a centurion who is a man of war and Jesus is the king of peace. And he's the one that can literally, as she said, if he, if he puts a touch to you and compels you to walk a mile, you walk two with this guy. And here he is this, this high up in the occupying force. And he comes out and he pleads with this Jewish rabbi, this, 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 this humble man, Jesus. And he comes and he begins to plead with Jesus. And he starts pleading with him, saying, Lord, the second one to call Jesus Lord in all the gospel, the first is this leper, who, of course, when Jesus says, says no one goes and tells everybody. But he says, Lord, my servant is lying at home paralyzed, dreadfully tormented. So he has this disease and he can't move. His body's in pain. And Jesus says, I will come and heal him. Now, this centurion does something amazing because as we realize with the leprosy that Jesus' power, there's nothing too difficult for him. Even something that the, the king of Samaria says, can I, you know, am I God that can make alive and well? And Jesus had no problem just simply healing and touching. The centurion says something else about the authority of God. He makes a statement when Jesus says, I will come. We see the humility of this centurion in verse 8. The centurion answered and said, Lord, I am not worthy that you should come under my roof, but only speak the word and my servant will be healed. It's amazing that here the centurion says, I don't need you to show up personally. I just need your word. Let that be a lesson to every Christian. What we need is a song like, I just need your presence, I need your presence, I need your presence. Well, what I really need is there's, there's power in his word. So I don't have to always be tangibly aware of his presence, although his word says what? Hey, I'm omniscient. I will never leave you nor forsake you. The Holy Spirit is already in you. Although there's going to be times we may not be aware of it, it doesn't mean his word has any less power. And so as we see this, he talks about authority. He says, you only need to speak a word. In verse 9, he says, for I am a man under authority, and I have soldiers under me. And they say, to this one go, and he goes, and to another come, and he comes. Now, I want you to notice what this means. When I'm here, and I tell someone go, and they go, that means you're in my presence and my authority is right here with you. And when I say go, you go. Now when he says, when I say come, he comes. What this means is this. Now my authority spans distance. See, when I'm saying come, you don't have to be in my hearing. So if there's, if there's a soldier who's in another city or in another garrison, and I send this soldier, I says, I want you to go. He's going to go until this one comes. That soldier is going to come even though I'm not there. My authority spans distance. So understand what the word of God does. I can be here on earth. Jesus wills it in heaven. And his authority spans any amount of distance. No matter where that soldier is, 
He's going to receive the word and he's going to obey that word. This is what authority is. And so in verse 8, the centurion answered, Lord, I'm not worthy. I'm, I'm humble. Don't come under my roof, but I know what authority is. Speak the word. Verse 9, I am a man under authority, having soldiers under me. I say to this one, go, and he goes. And to another, come, and he comes. And to my servant, do this, and he does it. So I have authority. I know what it is. I know what it means to be um, one who simply declares a word, and that word itself becomes authority. So verse 10, when Jesus hears it, he marvels. He's like, dude, dude, this is great. So he marvels at this and said to those who followed. So when this guy says a word, Jesus points to everyone else. And did you just see what this guy did? He points out the action of what this man declared. And he says, surely I say to you, I have not found such great faith, not even in Israel. And so what he does is he now brings this occupying you know, officer who's here, over 100 men who occupying Israel. He now comes to Jesus there in Capernaum where Jesus is making his headquarters, coming in, is pleading with him, saying, but I don't want you to come to my roof. I'm not worthy of that, but just say a word and it's there. And Jesus points to all his, he's got faith. And he's pointing to this Gentile occupier who's been pleading with him. And so he says, I say to you, and this is where it's going to be key to this passage, verse 11 and 12, I say to you that many will come from the east and the west. In other words, the east and the west are going to be those who are outside of Israel. Call it Gentiles. People will come from Gentile territories and sit down with Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob in the kingdom of heaven. He's saying people are going to come, Gentiles are going to come, and they are going to sit down with Abraham, with Isaac, and with Jacob. So he makes this statement, Gentiles are going to come in here, but then he says, but the sons of the kingdom will be cast out into our darkness, and there will be weeping, a gnashing of teeth. What he's saying is this, being a Gentile does not automatically reject you from entering the kingdom. However, on the other hand, being an Israelite does not automatically give you access to the kingdom of heaven. So it's important, don't judge on who the person is, don't judge on how the person acts, because we don't know yet what God is going to do. So you can judge the sin of the person at that point. Of course, we dealt with the whole issue of judging. We don't judge those who are outside. The Word of God will do that. And of course, Jesus says, my whole thing is that they would come to know life. We judge those who are inside, but we judge it to the point of wanting to restore them. So here he makes this statement. He says, just because someone's a Gentile does not mean that they don't have access in. And just because you're an Israelite doesn't guarantee you access in. So he makes this huge huge statement about his kingdom. Now understand, he goes to the underside of society where all these people would say they're the lowest of the low. Yeah, they are, but I'll tell you what, they're high in my kingdom. Those are the ones that I'm pursuing. So he elevates this Gentile above the entirety of the nation of Israel. 
he made that statement, I have not found such great faith, not even in Israel. In the entirety of this nation, this guy, this Gentile, puts you all to shame. And I'll tell you what, that's a sad thing. It's a sad thing when here this man comes and just understands what authority is and understands, Jesus, I know what authority, all you have to do is say the word. So, verse 13, then Jesus said to the centurion, go your way, and as you believed, so let it be done for you. And the servant was healed that same hour. Now, I want you to realize that when he says in verse 13, as you have believed. If you're a highlighter, if you're an underliner, you might want to mark that, you might want to jot it down. As you have believed. Now, what did this man believe? What did he believe? He believed that Jesus, if Jesus spoke a word, it was done. The issue with what's happening in the church, now it happened very deeply, like back in the early 80s, um, and if there's still a movement that's starting to creep back into the church, and it's this, um, where you know we look at that passage in Matthew 7, where it says, if you ask anything, if you knock, if you seek, if you ask, it's yours. And what, what they fail to realize is this, it's when you're a disciple, you put away what you want, and it's, it's what your will be done, your kingdom come on earth as in heaven. It's all about his will, not my will. So when I'm a true disciple, I'm not asking for my will, I'm asking for his will. Now what this man believed is this, that Jesus would speak. See, this whole thing on the, the, the word faith and the, the name it and claim it issues is if you simply say something, then God is not required to do it. It's my saying it and my faith. Understand that this man was pleading with Jesus and was saying, Jesus, if you say it, it can happen. If I say it, okay, well, I can't do anything. You are the one. You are the one that has the access. You are the one that has the authority. You are the one that has the power. You know. So that's why he came pleading with Jesus. He just didn't stay back in his house and say, oh, wait, I don't need to go with Jesus. I have faith. All I have to do is claim it. No, he didn't. He goes to the one who when he speaks, he goes to Jesus, so when Jesus, then the word is done. So be careful because there's this huge movement that's now creeping back into the church. And of course, like everything, it's, it's, it's circular. It, it hits the church, grows big, kind of disappears and kind of creeps back in and grows big. And everything becomes in a circular motion. And that's what's happening again. There's this whole thing about all you have to do is with your faith, claim it, and it's your words. This centurion nails it. He said, and, and I, when you say that as you have believed, what did he believe? Jesus, you have the authority. All you have to do is say the word, and my centurion is healed. And so I think it's important that his belief was not in how big was his faith. His belief was, oh, the authority of Jesus Christ, the power of Jesus Christ. He is the one who, after he's declared all these things, he has the authority. He can do all these things. Um, so I think it's important where the question isn't always how big is your faith. If you have the faith of a mustard seed, enough faith to realize my God is big and begin to, to walk in his path, he can move mountains. And so when we look to this, so it's a great direction. And then the third one, and we'll touch on this one here 
um, this evening is found in verse 14. Now when Jesus had come into Peter's house, he saw his wife's mother lying sick with a fever. And he touched her hand and the fever left her and she arose and served them. And when evening had come, they brought to him many who were demon-possessed and he cast out the spirits of the word and he healed all who were sick that it might be fulfilled, which was spoken by Isaiah the prophet, saying he himself took our infirmities and he bore our sicknesses. So we see here that he now goes to Peter's house. Now, it's interesting that Peter now has a house in Capernaum. He has this house because this is where Jesus is, so he's now moved into Capernaum. And he, Peter has a wife, he has a mother-in-law. And his mother-in-law was sick with a fever. Now, we've already saw that difficulty has no issue with Jesus. Whether it's a leprosy or anything, he's like, I can touch you, you can be clean. Distance has no um, problem with Jesus. So there isn't a difficulty issue, there isn't a distance issue. But I want you to know that there isn't here um, a declaration issue either. Um, no one asked Jesus to do this. Do you realize it? Peter say, oh, Jesus, my mother-in-law, or Peter's wife is say, oh, my, my mother. No one asked. I want you to know how good God is that you don't even have to ask, and he knows what he wants to do. And as he comes through, here Jesus, when Jesus had come into Peter's house, he saw his wife's mother lying sick with a fever, and he touched her hand. No one asked, and yet once again we see here what? It's his touch. It's his touch. It's his touch. He touched the leper. And of course, he wanted to go in with the centurion. He was, you can't go to my house. Just simply say the word. Jesus, I, I, I want you to know that he wants to touch. There's this intimacy with God that, that as you draw near, as you experience this closeness, I'm like, you know what? I have your touch. <laughs> that, that's all I need. What you do with it is what you do with it. But he touched her. And as, as he, he touched her, of course, he, you know, he, he touched the, um, the um, where am I at here? Oh, he, 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 verse 3 of chapter 8, he put out his hand and he touched him. And so we see there, um, however, in verse 8, the centurion answers, Lord, I'm not worthy that you should come under my roof, but just simply speak the word and my servant will be healed. Um, your word has the power to touch. And so here he touches her hand. The fever leaves her, and she arose, and she served um, them. And so she begins to initially, as she has this fever, God heals her, and immediately she doesn't just lay there and say, oh, well, let me recover a little bit. Let me get my wits about me. She's like, well, that worked out fine. Let's just get back to what we need to do. And, and I, I want you to see here, this leper initially asks, for himself. He says, Lord, if you're willing, the centurion is something different. He asked for somebody else. Nobody asks for Peter's mother-in-law. And I think it's important, and I want to state that in that way because so often we put God in a box. You gotta do it this way, you gotta do it this way, you gotta do this because like you don't put me in any box. Don't make me have to do it the way you want me to do it. It's not where you have to ask him to do this. He, he can do it without even asking. It's not like, well, I can't ask for you. Yes, you can ask for you. And you can also ask for others. And you can watch the Lord do something and no one's even asked about it. And so I think it's important to realize that here, Jesus, through these three 
people that are in the lowest rungs of society elevates them as far as his kingdom and how worthy they are. We make people, we look at people and say, you're not worthy, you're not worthy. Jesus looks at everyone and says, oh yes, you're worthy. I want you as a part of my kingdom. And so here he touches her hand. She comes and she begins to serve instantly. And through her service, what happens is this, that as she begins to minister to them, what happened was when evening came, they brought to him many who were demon-possessed. He cast out the spirits of the word, and he healed all who were sick. He has the word long into the evening, and her ministry does what? It prolongs his ministry there. And I think it's so important that when you know the Lord ministers to us, the main thing is what? How can I give that out? Who can I move that on to? We call it paying it forward. And I think it's important that when God does something, we generally God, thank you for this. How can I share this blessing with others? How can I share this blessing with others? And so we see here, and I find it just as this beautiful thing where as the first three miracles, Jesus has the authority over the natural. Um, once we get into chapter 23, we're going to see how he has authority over the nature and then the supernatural when it comes to the demonic. And then he has the authority over sin and the effects of the sin. But at this point, we're seeing here these natural healings. And as he does so, this beautiful thing where he heals the leper, he heals the centurion servant, and he heals Peter's mother-in-law. And it's just one after another after another. Now, Here's the thing to go back to the very first thing we talked to. The very fact that he healed the leper, the very fact that he's able to say a word and heal the centurion's servant, and the very fact that he's able to touch the hand of Peter's mother-in-law and who was lying sick with a fever, and immediately she recovers to the point where she can serve, is that I'm just showing you here that the conduct of the king matches his constitution. The things that he has spoken, all of his sayings, are not any different than his signs. His signs is I'm showing you that everything that I said, I had the authority to say. Everything that I've declared, I have the ability to back it up. And, and when I declare those things, I don't declare it as someone who doesn't have authority, who, who cannot back them up. And so we see here that everything that he's going to do in these next couple of chapters takes us back to chapters 5 through 7 to say these words are true and the very fact that the one who does these miracles in 8 and 9 he's the one that said it means that it adds all the more weight and all the more authority to what it was that he declared so just in case when we you know got into chapter 5 and we started you're like oh yeah these are the words of Jesus no it's beyond that way beyond that these are here um the one who is the king, yes, he gave his constitution, but look at his conduct. He backs it up perfectly. And so um, that's just the beginning of the, the, the first of ten. So the good news is, is we get miracle after miracle after miracle um, for at least the next week and a part. So um, let's bow our hearts. Father, you're so grateful, so thankful for who you are. Thankful for your power. And Lord, I'm grateful that tonight you've shown us that you cannot be put into a box. And all the things that we learned, I, I am blessed beyond measure by that. There isn't just one way to ask. 
We can ask for ourselves, we can ask for others, we can not even, even, maybe not even ask, and you're going to move and you're going to minister. That's just how good you are. But we trust, Lord. We trust that um, when we ask that question, we don't ask, are you able? That we know. But so often, Lord, we, we do ask, are you willing? But Father, when we ask that question, are you willing? We do ask that you would impress upon our hearts and never let us forget that if you delay, that doesn't mean that you're denying the request. Amen. That we know that all of us will be healed. That's who you are. Maybe not on this side, but we will all be healed. You, you have a place waiting for us. And so we're, we're anticipating, Lord, all of us, um, to just see you move and see you work. We are so grateful, Lord, that, that you were the one Everyone came to you. They didn't come to your disciples. They came to you. They knew that you had the power. And, and everything that you declared was just evident. No one ever spoke like you. No one did these things. I, I find it intriguing that no leper had ever gone to a priest that is written in the scripture until you came on the scene. And I don't know if, how they had to look at us and say, boy, I've read somewhere this could be we haven't ever done this. And yet because of you, Lord, because of you, these beautiful things that Moses wrote, pictures of the healing of a disease that could not be healed, they realized that there's, there's no one but God that could heal these things, that you had that authority. And we know because you're God. But continue to move those things upon our minds and our hearts. We ask in Jesus' name and all the saints of God said, Amen. Amen.